0: O oh, sthapaka yachad harimasya, avatara varishthaya, Ramakrishna yate namaha, vasudeva devam, gangsachanu Devaki Paramanandam Krishnam Vande Jagat Gurum <clears throat> So in the last class, we were studying the 26th, from 26th to the 28th sloka of the second chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. So where we find that assuming for the sake of argument that the self is not eternal, Sri Krishna proceeded, was proceeding uh, to explain Arjuna, even from that standpoint, that even if the self is not there, that grieving for the near and dear ones, grieving for the death of the near and dear ones or for one's own self, as such, has no sense. It implies nothing. If we have a common sense, we are not supposed to grieve for the near and dear ones on their death, even if the concept of self is not there. When the self is there, of course, the idea is the real me never dies. So what's there to grieve for? It's just the falling off of the body. But if the self is not there, then again, also the same thing. There is no question of grieving. So here, the main thing is that at under any circumstances from whatever perspective we may take, the grieving is of uh, no, it has no implication. It doesn't have any sense. So why should you grieve? So what was the slokas which we were studying in the last class to implicate that even if the self is not there, the grieving, you shouldn't grieve. It has no meaning. So the 26th sloka was That if you think that the self repeatedly comes into being and dies means the self with, with the birth, the self as if is taking birth, with the death it is over, the self has is no more there and again the physical conditions conglomerate in some other circumstances to create a new soul so if that's the idea that the soul is a epiphenomenon it is generated by the conglomeration of the physical constituents and thus it disintegrates is disappears with the disintegration of those physical conglomerates even if you have that type of idea that habit mohabha that even then o mighty One, you should not grieve for it and the reason for it was indicated in the next verse what's that jatas yahidhruvo mrityu dhruvam janma mritasya tasmad apariharyarte natvam shochitum arhasi that that which is born death is certain and that which has that is which is which has died again the birth is certain therefore you should not grieve over the unavoidable it is something which is unavoidable in the last loka ind- it was indicated that there is no one actually to grieve for the death the one who has died if he is no more there who will be grieving so there is nothing to be worried about there is Nothing to, uh, to worry, but that's why, why there is nothing to worry. Who will be worried if there is no self? All our worry about death is before we die. After death, if there is no self, who is going to worry? So why should you worry? It's a very pragmatic way of looking at the truth, even if you are an atheist. Jatasya so, And it is again, it is uncertain. First, there is no one to worry. And yes, the question may be there. That yes, when I die, there is nothing to worry. But of course, my clinging to life makes me worry as long as I am alive. And that worry is about death. So again, there is mentioned that it is something which is inevitable. It's not only something unique for me or you. It's a universal truth that we all have to die one day. One day we shall all die. We shall all die one day. It is, a, it is something, the only certain thing in this world full of uncertainties. If there is anything which is certain, the death is there. So why to cling to something which is inevitable? Just let go. So that's the idea which we find is being indicated in the 27th. And the twenty-eighth, to reinforce the idea, of what it is saying, Aviakta Nibhutani, Vyaktia Madhyani Bharata, avyakta Nidhana Neva, Tatraka Paridevana. So at the beginning, before the birth, I was unmanifest. Uh, it's more like agnostic. I don't know whether I was there or not. Some say that you were there. Some say you, were, you weren't there. Okay, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm at sure that I was not manifested the way I am manifested now. So for the time being, I am manifested. Vyakta Madhyani Bharata. Again, I will go to that state of un- unmanifested state. Again, the question comes, some says you still continue, some says I don't continue, whatever it may be, I don't know. So if that's the the case, that's I come from a state where I am just manifested for some time and again go to the state where I don't know my destiny and which is not something specific for me, it is something which is universal. Then why to simply grieve over it? Tatra Ka Paridevana. So the question is when the battle is for the righteousness, what is righteousness in this world? Anything which leads to collective good. That's what, as per our worldly standards, are constant, anything which leads to collective good is righteous. What are righteous acts where I try to subdue my Individual interest and give importance to the collective interest. My individual interest is not that I'm going to forsake, but it has always, it should always be guided by the collective goodness. So, collective goodness should guide my life. And for the collective goodness, if the individual uh, interest has to be forsaken, we have to forsake. We are doing it every day. Even when you are taking out your car for your ride anywhere, that's what we are doing. We always, we never want the red signal. But what's there? There's the signals are there for the collective goodness that all should have the fair go. And there, we do follow the traffic in every field of life. In every field of life, I just cannot follow the whims and fancies of what I like. In the present world, in the name of freedom, that's what is happening. The collective goodness speaks of vaccination of all, but my individual choice, the freedom has become so uh, brick that you will find huge agitations going on. Peoples are agitating. What, again, the thing the righteousness and there's only definition where my own individual interest, opinions, everything has to be guided by the collective goodness that speaks of The collective goodness, where my individuality is not given that importance. In the present world, in the name of freedom, the democracy is leading to mobocracy. That's what Jesus, when he was traveling through Europe, he was very much, you know, seeing the uniformity everywhere. He was someone praised. This is the product of democracy. Swamiji immediately retorted back by saying, I fear this democracy. It is this opinion of the masses that crucified Jesus. It is this opinion of the masses that that resulted in the persecution of Galileo. What if you have to have a democracy that should be the democracy of the enlightened? It cannot be the democracy of the mob. Just what a wonderful thing he's saying. It is our democracy, the majority, When Jesus was crucified, he was alone with his few disciples. The majority were of the opinion that he should be crucified. Is that democracy? It's a democracy of the mob who are ignorant, who knows nothing in the name of freedom. That's what is happening throughout. Only if the numbers count, it's always the rule of the majority just by the power not by reason, not by justification. So that’s the thing which we should always keep in mind. So So here also we find now the, the, uh, the uh, Sri Krishna after just giving the reasons that you for the collective goodness forget about whether the self is there or not for the collective goodness where righteousness should prevail. Forget about the grief and take part in the battle. After saying that, again, that the doubt may arise. Is the self really not there then? Why is Sri Krishna is saying that way? Is he just deluding me by various ways? He has a tremendous uh, this, the gift of gab. And with reason, he can now say that the self is. And with reason, he can say the self is not. And you may get confused that what the God is doing here. So therefore, immediately after speaking about the non-existence of the self, that maybe that if the self is not there, you shouldn't grieve. Now he will be speaking of the fact that why the self eludes us. It is not that it is not there. It is there. But throughout our existence, we will find there's a doubt about this existence. So this 26 to 20 is uh, this slokas is not meant to ascertain the non-existence of self. It just indicates our doubt about its existence. And if that be so, then what uh, that the question comes that why we are so why we are so doubtful about its existence. So that will be indicated in the next sloka, the 29th sloka, that why we doubt the existence of the self. So let's go through the sloka and we will go to the discussion after following the, the sloka. Ascharyavat pashyati kaschidenam. Ascharyavat vadati tathayva chanyaha. Ascharyavat chainam anya srinoti. Srutva pienang veda Nachaiva kaschit. So, what it is saying? So, some look on the self as a wonder. So, let's first have the literal meaning that some look at the self as wonder. And some speak of it as wonder. Some look at it as wonder. Some speak of it as wonder. And still others, some hear of it as wonder. So, some speak of it as wonder, some look at it as wonder, some hear of it as wonder, and still others. Even after hearing, they cannot make any sense of it, as it's with most of us. So what this word Ascharya means in our life? What is Ascharya? Ascharya means surprise. What surprises us? That something which is not seen, which is not visible, suddenly you perceive it. You are not expecting something. Suddenly it becomes visible. That's what is called Ascharya, wonder. So anything which is unseen, strange, or suddenly perceived is considered as wonder. So this self, even we found that find that even after this Bhagavad Gita inspired for ages, silently, it was cross-cultural. Silently for ages, it inspired so many. Even we find the, the British poet, Robert Browning, Long, this in the previous century. So he, after reading Bhagavad Gita, he's referring to the Atman very poetically, as is a poet, very poetically he refers to it as the imprisoned splendor. It is imprisoned, imprisoned splendor. So anything which is imprisoned, it's not visible. It's a splendor, it's a jewel. Suppose a jewel was hidden, and suddenly it's become visible. Won't it surprise you? So that's why it is an imprisoned splendor, which is not visible to all as such. As a, It is not visible to the common people as such. It is imprisoned. It is within every one of us. As in the Kathopanishad, in one of the slokas, uh, very nicely it indicates that Esha Sarveshu Bhuteshu Gurho Atma Naprakashati. Sarvashabhuteshu in all of us. The essence of our being is the self. Guru Atma. Guru means lying deep within, hidden. Atma, Naprakashate. It is not shining forth. But is it not visible at all? No. There is a way. Drishyate tu agrayavuddhya. Sukshmaya sukshma Darshivi. The Sanskrit language is beautiful. Darshyate tu agraya buddhya. Agraya. Buddhya. Buddhi which has been sharpened. <clears throat> Just the way a sharpened arrow can pierce the target. It has to be sharpened. So similarly, the buddhi has to be sharpened. What it speaks of? That when the buddhi is dissipated, our intellect is going hither and thither with thousands of parsits. It can never be sharp. When we are focused to find the self and our mind is in constant search of the self where all the distractions have fallen off, so it's like the sharpened arrow, totally focused. All the distractions have fallen off. So if you can have that agraya agrayabuddhya, The buddhi which is sharpened, which has tremendous focus with that buddhi, with that intellect, it is visible, it is not, though it is not seen by all, but there are few who have developed that capacity to focus their intellect and with that focus, with a tremendous concentration, that shukshma Dashvi, That the thing, that shukshmayaa, by the shukshma, your buddhi has now become subtle. By focusing it to one point, it has become subtle. And with that subtle intellect, you can see the thing which is really subtle. So that's why when anyone used to say in front of Ramakrishna, that the Atman is avang manasa gocharam. A vak manasa gocharam. Vak means it cannot be expressed through words. Manasa, it cannot be conceived through mind. A prefix is used in the sense of negation. Gochara means to perceive. The mind cannot perceive it, the speech cannot express it. When someone is to say that, Ramakrishna immediately will retort back by saying, no, no, no. It is not avangmanasa gocharam. It's not true that it cannot be perceived. It cannot be uh, perceived through the mind. It can be, he is to say very nicely, not avangmanasa gocharam. Shuddhamon, shuddha buddhir gocharam. It is perceived by the pure intellect, pure buddhi. And that's what is indicated in this slow mantra. Drishyate. It is perceived with that refined intellect, focused intellect, focused intellect, which has forgotten all the uh, so-called all the distractions of life. How can that focus come? Only through mumukshutva, tremendous yearning. In this life, you will find that whenever we have a purpose; our mind automatically gets focused. It is the what you said, that purpose which focus creates the focus. And once the focus is created, anything which I do creates an indelible mark in my mind. That becomes a very strong samskar. And that strong samskara can lead to very intense absorption. Just to understand the, how this spirituality work, for most of us in the world, spirituality is just a matter of make-believe. We have certain belief system, and we resort to our so-called spiritual gurus, and they are there to orient our mind. And with that mental orientation, with the belief, we think that's all religion, and that leads to all the evils of the, in, the, in the present world. In the form of belief, what I feel that what I believe is true, what you don't believe is false. And there's all the fight, clash, uh, unnecessary sense of holier-than-thou attitude. There is actually nothing. It is all, we all want some identity. In the name of spirituality, we are actually uh, crystallizing our ego. In the present world, Many are aversive to religion because religion, instead of diffusing our ego, crystallizes Crystallizes our ego. The religious persons are the most egoistic person. Constantly, their ego has to be fed. Constantly. Even, even the guru who is sitting, if the ego is not fed, he feels disastrous. Everywhere you find the ego, which was supposed to be diffused, has become more crystallized. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say Ami mukta baka, when shall I be free, when I cease to be. That instead of that getting rid of the I, the I gets crystallized. And why it happens? Because we are satisfied with the make-believe. And that creates our identity. We find in the life that to get prominence in life we all want. And when the last resort is religion. When we find it is so difficult with all my degrees, with all my qualifications to get uh, established in life, religion is a very nice mask to hide myself and say that I am holier than thou and you all, all should respect me. It's just a sham show. The real religion is only for those who has developed that tremendous necessity, sense of purpose, And that purpose will give the focus, that focus will take him to a deep indelible samskara, that samskara will take to the flow, that flow will take to a realization. And now you become a mystic. Once you go to that realm of realization, and you will find in the entire world, those minority, the mystics, they are speaking in the same language, whatever may be their religion, their faith, their denomination. So what is the process actually happens? So last, first, let us try to find out with us a common example that how an indelible mark is created in our mind with tremendous focus. Just for an example, God forsake that it may not happen to any one of us that suppose we are traveling by road and we are sub, we were about to meet a disastrous accident and somehow, God forbid it never happened, that we managed to... Just, I've heard that, we got, nothing happened, nothing was harmed. But you will find a very interesting thing throughout your life. That's the moment you never forget. I still remember it happened personally with me, when in India, in India, you know, the habit is there even to cross the rail tracks. There's unguided rail tracks, the people will be crossing, So I still remember that I was crossing, I just crossed one line and from the opposite platform, someone shouted, beware from the next, then in the next line from the opposite direction, another train was coming, which was not supposed to stop in the railway station. So it was in full speed. So when I have already crossed one of the track, I saw the other train is coming and I know I cannot cross there. And very interesting, the line which I've crossed, the train, the first compartment I got, I was hurry to go to my college. So even before this train started, I have crossed the line with the intention to just cross all the lines. And now I'm between two trains. One train is coming with full speed from the opposite direction. And this train, the train which I have got down and I've already crossed the line in front of it, that just started. And I know the gap between the two tracks is so small. When the train is in such a speed, it is almost, you can say that it is almost impossible to keep yourself still. The gap is very less. I never knew what to do. And then someone shouted, sit down. Because when you are sitting down, uh, the train's body, they come near. But when you go near the wheels, sufficient distance is there. As for the track is constant sufficient distance is there. So immediately I sat down, both the trains passed by, nothing happened. But what I'm saying that this is an indelible mark with full description, I can say what has happened. I will never forget so many things happened around that time. Most probably I don't remember them, but this is the thing which I will never forget. Why? That we all have that fear of death. We don't want to die. And when death is approaching, That fear creates tremendous focus and that focus speaks of that indelible mark in your mind. Throughout our life, whenever it so happened that my mind got focused, either voluntarily or forcibly, that focused mind, in that focused mind, whatever we did, that never gets erased from your mind. It is indelible. Now, there are two factors to create an indelible impression. One is reputation. And another is this focus. Many say nothing is happening in my spiritual life. Why it doesn't happen? Because there is no focus. Though we are repeating, it's very shallow. Just you're trying to strike something with something blunt. If you're just striking something with blunt, it doesn't create any mark. If I just use a knife, it will immediately pierce through it. So what it speaks, the more the sharp it is, the more the chance of creating an imprint. So with a shallow mind, with a blunt mind, though I go on repeatedly doing the same thing, nothing happens. But with a focused mind, there's no need for even repetition. That one mark is sufficient. So I never forget. So, but again, the question comes. That if I develop that this if I, uh, that uh, to get that tremendous focus to get that tremendous focus, uh, I understand that if there is an in- tremendous focus, I won't forget. But how to get that focus? That's also another question. You c- it cannot be forced. So now again another example. Let us take that a surgeon. As we in so, so many references we give that a surgeon who most probably uh, for some reason had to resort has to take some public transport he was waiting for the bus and in half an hour he find that the bus was delayed or the train was delayed his legs are aching as he was had to stand a bit more and the same surgeon was, when he's in the operation theater he's Operating on a patient, maybe for hours together, for eight hours, a complicated operation. As long as the operation was going on, two things were there. What is that? He forgot that he has the need for food. He didn't feel the hunger, didn't feel the thirst. And the same person who was tired of standing just half an hour in the railway station is now at ease, doing the operation for eight hours standing. He feels the tiredness only after the procedure is over. What made him forget total body consciousness as if? Because of the focus. Why focus? That focus is out of necessity. This Now when he is operating, his mind is totally focused at the end of the scalpel. He knows a little mistake will be at the cost of the life of the patient. So how the focus has been created? Out of necessity. The necessity is that I have to save the life of the patient. I just cannot take it so casually. A little mistake will be at the cost of the life of the patient. (coughs) So that creates, this necessity creates the focus. This focus, as we saw, creates an indelible mark And not only that, it creates a flow that for eight hours, the doctor was standing. He forgot thirst, hunger. The focus kept his mind so, uh, what you say that engaged with the thing he was doing that the mind lost the capacity of taking care of other things. So these common examples will explain that those who take spirituality seriously, those who are really bothered about this present mundane existence, it's not mere make-believe that after death I will go to heaven or hell, whatever it is. When he's really bothered, he's not satisfied with those belief system and he resorts to his practice, this sense of necessity that after all, what's the meaning of life? Is there anything which continues even after death. All these questions perturbs him so much that that necessity gives him the tremendous focus in his practices. And that focus gives enter, helps him to enter into a state of flow where everything thing falls off. The intellect becomes agraya, one-pointed. And what happens then? You see, when my mind gets focused, all the things starts falling off. I forget hunger, thirst, because the mind has a limited capacity of processing information. When I'm extremely focused, it is as the entire mind is engaged with that, other things starts falling off. But the last thing to fall off is our ego. The essence of this limited awareness that I am this psychophysical existence. This is the thing which is the subliminal impression that remains, the last impression that remains. It never goes. Our entire life is circling around it. When my mind gets tremendously focused, this sense of I falls off. That is also taken away. You become one with the object of meditation. Now you'll understand what you are meditating upon is immaterial all our fight with that what we are meditating upon. That fight is with what we are meditating upon. We have never meditated upon it. Just fighting by saying that what I meditate upon is greater than yours. But have you ever meditated upon the thing which you you think is superior? Never. If whatever it may be, if I would have meditated and it would have taken me to that flow where even the eye falls off. That's what all the spiritual this traditions, mystics speak of, immediately it takes you to that unitary experience, where that amnes alone is That is a non-local experience, the everything, the, the entire phenomenon falls off. You find that it is the mind and the senses which is giving you the sense of this panorama. Everything has fallen off, but what still remains? That amness which has no locality, it's beyond time, space, causation. And that's the realization from which they again come back. But now they're totally transformed. They know that what I am seeing is Maya. It's it's not what actually it is. Ya means yatha yatha, the things as it is. I think, I see the red flower means it is a red flower. Ma is used in the sense of negation. It is not as I am seeing. So it's a mere projection. Then what's real? The one who is deluding is the real. Even after the delusion, I am not getting rid of that amness. Only the thing which has changed is its locality has gone. It has gone beyond space-time causation and it is in an eternal presence. And it is something which we can never explain. It is a neotic experience that When I am speaking, someone can just come and with reason can say this all are nonsense and can easily uh, just contend and contradict all my uh, way of reasoning. But if you have experienced something, no one can take away the conviction from you. In a geography book, I have read about, suppose the ocean, but I am yet to see it. Someone may come and just Brush off the idea that there is no ocean. These are all nonsense. And I may believe him. But once I have seen the ocean, no one in the world can ever create a doubt in my mind. I I won't even reply to that person. I will just think he's a madman. There is no question of even of argument. Why will you argue with a person whom you know is just speaking something which is nonsense? We argue only when his argument creates doubt in my own conviction. Then only we start arguing. Otherwise there is no question of argument. So those mystics you will find were persecuted throughout the world because it never tallied with the belief system. Jesus himself was persecuted. Christian mystics were persecuted. In in Islam we find the Sufis were persecuted. In Islam Al-Haq means the truth. The Sufis says An-Al-Haq I am the truth. And there lies the problem. You are gone. They were persecuted. Everywhere we find these mystics, apart from the Vedantic tradition, where we find that there was a democracy of ideas. No one was bothered what you believe. And that's why there's a joke. Many says that how come God incarnated in your country or in your this Vedic civilization so many times. We say that for us, God came only once. So jokingly we reply, for us, for you, if God incarnates, at last he will be crucified or he will be persecuted. Even he is afraid of coming again and again. Here it is, a, this democracy of ideas, he can come freely, he can come as many times as he wishes. So this is the democracy of other, anyone. There is no question of restricting that res, that realization to one or two person. It can become the treasure of the entire humanity. It can become the treasure. If instead of just uh, focusing on some mere make belief if we really are sincere in our practice, throughout the world in the name of religion, what is happening at present, that to show that I am devoted to my faith, what I do, how intensely I hate others who are differing from me in my faith. The question is, you say you are a devotee, how much devoted you are to your faith? There are so many... Uh, the nice uh, allegories to explain this fact. Uh, that uh, someone was uh, re- reading uh, what you say that so doing some rituals or something. And uh, someone just was, was treating over that unknowingly, he was in search of his lover, he trade over the all the paraphernalia trade over that this man got so angry. And he, this immediately, and he was about to hurt the other person. The other person told, I, one thing, I, I, I really did a mistake. I, I was just trading over all the things which you have arranged. But one thing I don't understand. That see see, I am uh, at, attached to some mundane thing. I was in search of that, of my beloved. And that made me forget everything. But your love is for what I don't understand. That if can love can make me forget everything, that how come that hatred which you are having uh, be there if you really uh, you love God? If I really love my ideal, my mind is t- supposed to be taken away by it. How can I have the sufficient, that what is a portion of my mind remaining for all those hatreds? So this speaks that all the things which we do in the name of religion is a real sham show. We are just hypocrites. We should admit that. Otherwise, that if religion would have been something which was the be-all and end all of existence, without which I cannot live, then that self would have been something like that imprisoned splendor realized. And as it is not common, so you will understand, it's only a few, the fortunate few, in the entire religious tradition of the world, it's only the fortunate few who develop that tremendous yearning and that develops that focus, Agrabuddha, and that takes them to the realization. So now you will understand why it has been told it is Aschariya, that its self is there, but why there is so much doubt about the self? Because we somehow are quite happy with this mundane existence, with the make-beliefs. We never really are in search of it the search of the thing which is within us, which is imprisoned, the imprisoned splendour. Once you realize that, the your the purpose of life is solved. The purpose of taking birth as a human being is fulfilled. That was the purpose, and that's being indicated. That why it is austerity. You'll find that in so many ways, even in the Upanishad, it's speaking of which. Doesn't give us any definite idea about the self. As if in just uh, so many opposing ideas are used to explain the self. Just in Isha Pani Shad, we will just say there is a, the fourth slok, fourth mantra of the Ishapanishad. Aneja Dekam Manaso Javiyo Naina Deva Apnuvan Purva Marshat, Tad Dhavata Anjan Atyeti, Tishthat, Tasmin Napo Matarishwa Dadhati. That though it is motionless, but at the same time it is faster than the mind. Just see, it is just speaking in the contrary language. That. Why actually it is saying that? That the Atman by itself is beyond time space causation. So there is no question of motion. But when it gets associated with the mind, it is so fast, immediately, just sitting here, I can think of some far, far away galaxies, stars, planets. So it's just like. Just take the example of the IC chip of your computer. It looks like a dead matter. The moment current passes through it, immediately the world of virtual reality is projected. Similarly, the self when comes in association with the mind, it can move fast. The same thing which was appearing as motionless, it appears. So these contradictory languages for an apparent, for a person who is yet to dive deep into the scriptures, dive deep into the real meaning of what has been mentioned. It appears very queer. So just to give an idea that why it has been spoken of as ascharya So that Tannejati is the That it moves, it doesn't move. Tad Dure tad Antike. It is far away, it is near. Antarasya Sarvasya. It is within everyone. Tadu sarvasya It is everywhere outside. So just seen contradicting in contradictory ideas, it is speaking of the self, but at the same time, it is not speaking something nonsensical. That as in the same way, when in association with the mind, it appears to be moving, otherwise it is not moving. The one who have not realized, he thinks that the self is sitting somewhere far, far away in the heavens. The one who has realized he knows he's the core of his being. He is within his without because he is, after all, all pervading. So just that's why we find this idea of Ascharya has even some spiritual implications in our spiritual life. As Swamiji used to say that this something which is hidden within us to manifest that alone is religion. Religion is not again in make this make belief to manifest the inherent divinity. Then in his words, religion is the manifestation of the divinity already in man. As simple as that, that if you have you have to manifest that in your life, and that speaks of religion, that speaks of the divinity, that speaks of the entire spiritual practice in any tradition, the manifestation of the divinity, which is already in man. In the Words of Swami Vivekananda, no books, no scriptures, no sign can imagine the glory of the self that appears as man. That's the way he's asserting. You cannot, the you know, books, no scriptures, as we say that you cannot describe the taste of mango with, uh, with, with literature. If you have not tested the mango, all those literature which describes the taste of mango is of no avail. You have to test it. So that's why all these no books, no scriptures, no signs can even imagine the glory of the self. For Because we have to realize it. It cannot be described. And again, that's why it is Ascharya. That's, that's why this is called Ascharya. So Ramakrishna in his unique way used to say, Shiva realizing his own infinite nature could not control himself and started dancing. The Shiva's dance is out of the joy of the realization of his self. The Shiva's dance is wonderful. When he first saw the working of the universe, he was not satisfied. He thought it is imperfect. Everywhere there is Jara, Vyadhi, Mrityu. Old age, disease, death. What type of creation it is. Everywhere I find suffering. There is tremendous want and there is no way you can fulfill your desires. That again creates suffering. He complained to Brahma the one who is the creator. And reply, Brahma told, the world is. It is just there, it it doesn't enter, the world is not imperfect. All the suffering which you are speaking of, which you're seeing all around, is not because of the world. It is the way you are reacting to the world. The world is just a fact. The way you react to that fact, the way you relate to that fact, that creates suffering. Otherwise, there is no suffering. Shiva realized those words and that made him to dive deep within himself. He sat for meditation. How all the yoga scriptures evolved, that's the story behind it. But Shiva became Dakshinamurti. He became compassionate. He dived within himself. And that in that meditation, Even when he was so deep in his meditation, what happened? This phenomenal existence fell off. It was not there anymore. He found that he alone was there in his infinite glory, the self. Everything else is as if just like a delusion has vanished. All those things are visible only when you are associating through the mind and the senses. They fall off. And Shiva, realizing his Presence, his eternal presence in the eternal now was in ecstatic joy. He was dancing in joy. That the words which we use, simple words, sometimes we don't know the meaning. We just go on using those words. That Shiva himself was dancing with the chant, Hara Hara Vyom Vyom. That's the chant we use when we repeat the name of Shiva. Hara Hara means what? Hara, Sanskrit. In, in Sanskrit, Hara means... To take away in the meditation, the entire creation has been taken away. Why Shiva is smeared with ash? In meditation, it is not the literal ash. In the deep meditation, we also can just burn off the entire creation. It can be just converted into ash. Just the way ash means everything has been burned, nothing is there. So, in your meditation, the entire panoramic existence collapses. It falls off, you go beyond the mind and senses. There's an example which we give that when the sun is passing through the prism, it breaks into the spectrum. The spectrum is the universe. The prism is the mind. The sun, uh, the sun is the ultimate reality. It passing through the mind, the prism is breaking forth into this panoramic world. Remove the prism. the panorama merges in the white light. Merges in the sun, and then you find that this all this panorama is because the mind. You come in association with the mind. Beyond the mind, you are just you are. Nothing can annihilate you. So everything, hara hara, the, all the creation ceases to exist the moment you get established in yourself. Go beyond your mind, and what is there? Vyoma. Nothing, just space. So that I, who was thinking myself limited in one place, now I find that it is me who pervades everything. So everything has been as it burned to ash, and it is me who pervades everything. And that gives him that sense of ecstatic joy, that nothing is there to annihilate him. Nothing is there to cause suffering for him. And that's why he's dancing in joy. So this, again, this speaks of the Ascharya. The thing which was suddenly revealed. It was hidden for all of us. So that's why we have always had so much doubting about it. That why suddenly this sloka comes after speaking about the non-existence of the self, the doubt about the existence of the self. Why he is bringing? Because of this reason. It is so subtle that unless we have followed the signs of the spirituality, we can never go. You just study the, any spiritual tradition, you will find that any prophet, even when they're going to their realization, before that, what is happening? Somehow they're withdrawn from the world. They are somehow not relating to the world. They are just with themselves. And somehow they let go and choose where the mind also falls off. And suddenly it is taking to them to certain realization. Just go to any religious tradition, the languages may be different, but these are the facts that cutting off from the society, diving deep within, and then going to the realization. Can you just say any religious tradition doesn't speak of that? The languages may be different, but it is the same thing which has happened in all the traditions. So this is the realization which we find has happened to a rare few souls, but it is not something which is only possible for those souls. That Swami Vivekananda asserted the fact the prophet's soul is within all of us. Why we like the Prophet? Why we like him? Because I feel that something within me wants to relate to him. And that's the thing, which is the, what you say, the hidden divinity within me, which is in the potential form. And we have the capacity to realize that. So just don't believe on some person. If the prophet has eaten food that doesn't appease my hunger, that can Jesus say that I have ate the food for you all? It can never happen. I have to. I have to. If I am hungry, I have to eat the food. And that's the potential which in all of us, and unless we go for that, it remains astray. All the doubts are there. And that's why we find that in Kathopanishad again in another sloka, it has been mentioned, even after hearing that uh, it, it is not, not of any evil, you know, avail, many have not even heard of it because people are so busy with the worldly way of life. They don't have time even to hear of it. Not People are not interested, they have not even heard of it, even they have not listened of it. And many have heard, most of us, we are hearing, but we don't don't have an inkling of it. Why? Because that hearing has not really created that urge for that realization. If that urge, real urge is there, it is bound to take to the realization. We say, no, I have the urge. It's just our lip service. Sri Ramakrishna gives a nice example. A disciple came and complained to his master that I have so much of yearning, but why there is no spiritual growth in me? The master just told, come with me and took him to the nearby pond in the pretext of having a dip. And when both were just having a dip, the master pressed the head of the disciple inside the water and forced him. And this disciple was gasping for breath. Leave me that he was gasping for breath. After some time he was released. And then he asked, how were you feeling? I was gasping for breath. I don't know why were you just pressing me down? I was about to die. And then he asked, do you feel for that realization this way that you are going to die? You're gasping for breath without this, without that realization, uh, your life is of no avail. It is almost as equivalent to death. When you have that type of yearning, know it for certain that you are going to realize. So that's why it is called Ascharya Vaktya. So this happens very rare. Ascharya Vakta. Such realized souls are few. Kushalosya Labdha. And such yearning is also very few. But where it has happened, know it for certain, then the instructions are bound to take a result. So, and that, those where we find the fructification by coming in presence of the real Guru a real yearning disciple disciple comes and that again fructifies, that also is a wonder. This is very rare. So now you will understand that why this sloka, this slokas sometimes eludes our understanding, but you will find that as we told, there's layers of understanding that why it has been spoken of as wonder, this ascharya, because it's not so something very palpably uh, available to us, visible to us. It's rare first to get that yearning is rare because we are so happy with the present uh, way of existence. All our spirituality at present is actually a a way of uh, finding our security zone. When I find all the means, which I think is going to uh, give me a strong footing in this world that starts falling off, then Finding no other way, I resort to spirituality. It's not the real necessity. Actually, I want the world. Somehow the world is deluding me. And then God becomes the means. World is the end. I go to such and such Baba, not because I want spirituality. Why I go? I have some incurable disease that may be cured. So that I can live in this world more longer. So the world is the gold. All the spirituality is the means, God is the means. That is not spirituality, that is abject materialism. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say, Where God is the means, world is the end, it is materialism. For most of us, that's the, we are in that abject materialism. Even when we speak of spirituality, our real intention is matter. When we really feel that urge, when the world has become a pyre, a burning ground, where you find that you are being scorched and at the same time you want to exist and you and the, the spiritual portal opens up for you, then only you find the real fulfillment of having a human birth. And that can make you austere. It can make you something, a, a wonder. That's what has happened throughout the spiritual tradition. The one who goes to the realization, the entire world looks at him as a wonder. He becomes larger than life figure because all the things which torments me is there it cannot torment him anymore. That's why we worship him. That's why we worship all these illumined soul who has been persecuted in the name of religion. That their conviction was so strong. This world fell off. Nothing could disturb them. Even death meant nothing. So they were ready even to give their life because they know nothing can kill them. They're eternal. That made them astray. That's why we are so much drawn to those characters because we, the prophet soul is within us. We also all want to be like him. So that's the idea. will be again, uh, uh, what you say, that uh, uh-huh. re, reiterated, re, I mean, reinforced in the next sloka, the 30th sloka. Dehi nityam avadhyoyam Dehi sarvasya bharata tasmat sarvani bhutani natvam shochitam aharj So that the Dehi, these terms, again so important, the one who resides in this body, avadhyoyam, he cannot be killed. And that's the one who is inside your body, Dehi. He is in everyone's body, Dehi sarvasya bharata. The one who is, as in the words of Holy Mother, Amar jini, Tomar "Oi Majitini, Bhagdir The one you realize that, you know, you have you have realized the ultimate. Very simple words. When you realize the one who is in you, the same one who is in me, and the same one is in the lowest of the lowly, whom you think the lowest and lowly lowly is in him also. Even in that, what you say that the criminal. The one uh, even in that criminal who think you think for whom there is no hope you can see the self there know it for certain then you have realized so this sloka also is something which is wonderful that how that this idea gives us tremendous strength all the prophets got the strength from this idea that i cannot be killed so we will again take up this sloka with some examples and uh, the discussions and examples again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.